welcome again to St. Paul's. If you'd like to follow along with the passage on your phone or in your pew Bible, you can find it in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 31, or on page 46. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. As Jesus sets out on his day's journey, surrounded by his friends laughing and chatting, they are suddenly interrupted by a man who runs up to Jesus and falls on his knees before him. Good teacher, the man says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The man has been waiting for this moment to ask this question of this rabbi. It's been niggling at him, the feeling that despite all his accomplishments, despite being a good person, despite the fact that he's done good things with his life and everything that he has, there's still something he's missing, something he hasn't quite grasped. And now is his chance. He's face to face with the rabbi called Jesus, the one that they've been talking about in the marketplaces. The rabbi looks at him. Why do you call me good? He asks. It's a fair question. The man meant it as an honorific, a nice title of respect. But the simplicity of the question and the accompanying comment, no one is good but God alone makes the man think that perhaps this conversation isn't going to go the way that he expects. After all, he considers himself a pretty good person. As if reading his thoughts, the rabbi continues, you know the commandments, he says, and lists them, those laws which separate the good Israelites from the bad. Yes, yes, the man replies, I know them all, I've kept them all. He notices, but he doesn't mention, that Jesus has only listed half the commandments and said nothing. He's listed the ones that have to do with loving your neighbor and said nothing about the ones relating to God. The man is relieved. He's pretty good at obeying the law, but he's on more comfortable ground with the neighbor commandments than the others, the ones to do with loving God. So far, so good. He looks up into the rabbi's face eagerly, hoping to see his approval, to be told to go on his way and keep doing as he's doing. But to his surprise, he sees something different. He sees Jesus, this prophet, this infinite man, or this infamous man who has this whole countryside stirred up. He's looking at him as if he knows him, inside and out as if he loves him. In fact, the man hasn't seen that profound an expression of love towards him ever. His breath catches. He suddenly really, really cares what the rabbi is going to say next. And then the statement comes. Go, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. It feels like a knife 
slicing through his insides. There is no room for compromise on that loving face. There is no sign that Jesus is exaggerating or joking. He means it. The man feels his heart sinking, a heavy weight inside his chest. He thinks of his comfortable house, all his assets, his food and his servants and his livestock. He sees the disciples standing behind Jesus, dressed in shabbier clothing, the calluses on their hands and feet, their meager possessions. He sees, too, the light in their eyes and the joy on their faces as they watch their master and listen to his words. He hungers for that feeling of assurance, the knowledge that they have made the right choice, the courage they showed in giving everything up. But surely they didn't have as much as he did to begin with. Surely it wasn't that much of a change in their situation to give it all up and follow this rabbi. Surely Jesus doesn't know what he's asking of him. He looks again into that face, the face of the man he's been waiting to meet for so long, the one he's been longing to ask this question of for so long. Jesus is waiting. His eyes are hopeful and bright and inviting, but there's a sorrow in them as well, as if he knows exactly how the man is feeling. The man drops his eyes. I look. Maybe now is not the right time for this, he says. I'm just about to buy that new property, and if the deal falls through, it will hurt my whole portfolio. You understand? He doesn't look up. He has a feeling he knows what will be in those eyes that see right through him. Shuffling to his feet, he bows his head awkwardly and turns away, not looking at the disciples behind Jesus. He can't bear to see the scorn and contempt that must be on their faces. But they can't understand. What did they give up to follow this man? A fishing boat? He could purchase a whole fleet of them. He walks away quickly, eager to get out of their sight, out of sight of their eyes resting on his back. He thinks of the beautiful home he's going to. He'll have his servants prepare his favorite food and call for music and dancing. He needs to shake off this encounter that has been so unsettling, so disturbing. But tomorrow, tomorrow he'll go to the temple and he'll give an extra large donation in honor of this rabbi Jesus and his loving eyes and maybe that will be enough. How hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. This Thanksgiving Sunday, we find ourselves in the middle of a teaching series called This is Jesus in which we take a close look at who Jesus is and what he is calling us to do. Over the past few weeks, we've heard both some really hard things and some really good news. We've been told about the eternal significance of our actions and the severity of our brokenness. 
we've heard again and again that following Jesus means taking up our crosses and suffering with him. But we've also been told about the glorious grace and the goodness of God and of his profound love for us. This morning's story continues that theme. Jesus is interrupted on his journey by this young man who we are told has many possessions. But he seems to be looking for some kind of assurance that he's on the right track, that the way he's living his life is going to lead to a good place. So he brings that concern to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, is the way I'm living good enough? There's a popular TV show on Netflix called The Good Place. Maybe some of you have seen it. It explores the question of what happens after we die and what it takes to get into the good place, or as the rich young man puts it, to inherit eternal life. In the show, humans are assigned points based on essentially how good they are or how moral they are in life. If their points are high enough, they get into the good place. Everyone else gets sent to the bad place. It is a fun and a humorous exploration of what the afterlife might look like and who gets to go there. And the young man in our story is asking the same question that that TV show does. How good do I need to be in order to get into the good place? But Jesus' answer to the young man breaks the paradigm. Instead of reassuring him that, yes, he's been good enough, or, no, he just needs to, you know, love his neighbor a little better, he tells him that he's still missing one thing. That all the morality points and all the goodness in the world are not enough to get into the good place without this one thing. And this one thing is the hardest and the easiest thing in the world. It's to put Jesus first to open our hands and to offer him what is most dear to our hearts, to clear away and get rid of what has, become, what has come between us and God and to love him most. For this young man, and as Jesus points out, for rich people everywhere and through all time, the thing that comes between him and Jesus is his wealth. Jesus talks more about money than almost anything else, including love, because he knows that this is the most dangerous thing to our well-being, our spiritual well-being. The way we have, and I include myself here, the way we have of trusting in our possessions to protect us, to comfort us, to keep us safe and happy, or even to distract us, all of this can so easily become a barrier between us and God. Any possession at all carries that risk. And the more we have, the harder it becomes to notice that our possessions have become what we rely on for status or protection, reputation or comfort. That our hearts are slowly becoming divided and distracted. We cannot love God and mammon. And so Jesus offers the young man and all of us a challenge. Open your hands on all of it and put me first. And yes, this may physically require letting it go. If prayer and discernment 
if through prayer and discernment we hear Jesus telling us the same thing that he told that young man. It requires prayer and discernment, coming before God and saying, what is between you and me? Help me to give it up. This is a hard teaching and a difficult story, but I have good news. We have always have good news because of the gospel. Jesus doesn't ask of us what he will not provide for us. And what I mean is this. What Jesus demands here is, in his own words, impossible. Theologian John Calvin once said, the human heart is an idol factory. We are constantly in the business of making idols, of putting things, putting anything in between ourselves and God. And we have been ever since Eve decided it was a good idea to eat that forbidden fruit. And the disciples know this. They exclaim, who then can be saved? We all make those idols. And the answer is no one. Not this way. We cannot save ourselves, not by being good people, not by giving away all our wealth. We are helpless to save ourselves, to get ourselves into the good place by our own actions. That's the whole point. Jesus came to do that work for us. He was the morally perfect one. He was the one with infinite points to get into the good place. He was the one who bore our imperfections and sin so that we might be seen as perfect in God's eyes. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians says, Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. He gave it all away so that we through his poverty might become rich. We have been given everything in Christ, everything we need to live our lives in him and for him. The good place for us starts here and now as we take this step of choosing to follow Jesus and trusting in his provision. And it is in following Jesus. It is in kneeling before him and looking up into his loving eyes, looking at us, knowing that he gave us everything, that we can open our hands on what we love and offer it back to him in return. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Take, Lord, receive all our liberty, our memory, our understanding, our whole will, all that we have and all that we possess. You gave it all to us, Lord. We give it all back to you. Do with it as you will, according to your good pleasure. Give us your love and your grace, for with this we have all that we need. Amen.